Hi, I'm Sana. I'm one of the newly appointed ST4s in rheumatology. Hi, I'm Samir. I am a rheumatology ST6 trainee. We're going to be talking to you today about giant cell arteritis. So this is a large vessel vasculitis. It's characterized by granulomatous disease in the aorta and large vessels, including the extra cranial branches of the carotid. It's on a spectrum with polymyalgia rheumatica, and it is one of the most common vascular disease that we see. There is a female preponderance, female to male ratio is two to one, and it's more common in older patients. So it's rare to see in patients below the age of 50. And it's more common in patients of certain ethnicities, so usually Caucasians and those from the Northern Hemisphere. In terms of pathophysiology, unknown, but a potential infectious trigger in someone who's predisposed. When talk, thinking about the presentation of patients who have GCA, the key things to that will make you think about it would be a new severe headache, which can affect any part of, of the head, but tends to affect this region and the occipital region. You might have associated scalp tenderness, so pain on palpation of the scalp, or for example, when patients lie down in bed, or even for example, when they're showering, the water that comes from the shower head sometimes can feel like acid on their head. Jaw claudication, and that usually is claudication on sort of use of, of the, for example, muscles of mastication. So when you're not using, you're not chewing, for example, you wouldn't expect to get pain there. That's an important one as well. So thinking about differentials, because it's quite hard to, 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 you know, to diagnose GCA. Sometimes it's all, all on key on the history. Sorry, the detailed history is, is necessary. So things like pain when you chew is much more important to know than just pain all the time, which could be dental or TMJ or, you know, it's very difficult. So it's specific claudication of the tongue or the jaw. Yeah. And similarly to that, so tongue claudication, again, when you're using your tongue and visual changes. So those, that's more of a late step, late stage in the process, but the things to really be really worried about would be, so complete loss of vision. So amaurosis fujax, so curtain-like loss of vision, but also, for example, diplopia. And then associated with that, you would expect some kind of, not all the time, but sometimes you would expect it to be possible to have a systemic some kind of systemic upset so low-grade fevers night sweats unintentional weight loss reduced appetite etc and then always be mindful about you know is this an overlap with a, a large vessel vasculitis and think about other symptoms that might point you towards that direction so, so for example that would be things like limb claudication in, in the arms or or pain, just like location pain in your walking, additional symptoms would be the main thing, and, and then blood work. The other thing that would point more towards something like a GCA diagnosis is the presence of polymyalgia. So if you've got pain in the proximal limb girdles, the shoulders, the hips, as well as morning stiffness, which sounds you know relatively inflammatory, then that again would be more weight to, to a, a GCA diagnosis. Yeah. Thanks, Samir. So when you're assessing someone who you think might have giant cell arteritis, there are certain things on examination that you would want to look for. So in particular, you want to examine the temporal arteries and you want to see whether they're thickened, furred, tender, pulseless. And then obviously, if you're concerned about a another type of large cell 
large vessel vasculitis, then you should always examine, you know, the pulses in the body. And then I think it's very reasonable with any anyone who you think might have a vasculitis to check blood pressure and do a urine dipstick in clinic as well. Yeah, I agree. And so going back onto the, the pulses, so what I normally do is I check all peripheral pulses. I'm looking for radio, radio delay, seeing if there's any subclavian stenosis or asymmetry or auxiliary. I'd also listen to the carotids, listen to the subclavians, looking for any feeling, sorry, looking, uh, listening for any bruise. I'd also feel um, properly, so femoral pulses uh, and distal pulses. It's always useful to know, it doesn't take long, and it's a nice baseline examination to have because you can pick up quite a lot. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Um, and then, of course, if there's any visual symptoms, then it would be entirely important to check to do fundoscopy. I would probably try and get a same-day urgent ophthalmology assessment so that they can do a full ophthalmology assessment. But uh, they would be looking for optic disc, which is actually usually quite a late, late sign, hemorrhages, exudates, et cetera. And they're basically looking for ischemic optic neuropathy. And I would say not, not just focusing on the eye, but also doing a cranial nerve exam is also quite useful. Again, just, just trying to be a bit more thorough and trying to pick up anything else that could be affected. Absolutely. So in terms of investigations, so other than your bedside tests that we've discussed, it's really important to check your inflammatory markers, in particular ESR, CRP, which you would expect to be elevated. And I mean, very, very, very rarely you might get normal inflammatory markers with GCA, but I think, you know, in more than 95% of cases, you'd expect them to be high. I think Um, for the purpose of, of, of an interview or most commonly, yeah, inflammatory markers should be raised super rarely can it be normal and it's really difficult to to diagnose diagnose that but it, you, again it's more about the history and that's when you think about if they've had visual loss or the ophthalmologist has seen a specific retina or optic disc that looks exactly like GCA then you're kind of you, you really have to hunt so you have to think about getting a biopsy think about getting a PET scan think about further investigations Yep, absolutely. So Sid Mears t- touched on some of the other tests that we would do. So that would be temporal artery, artery biopsy, ideally within two weeks. You could consider doing an MRA if you if you wanted to. I'm not sure exactly when you would think about that, really. So that would be if you're, if you're presenting with stroke-like symptoms. So the other thing about GCA is that you can get posterior stroke. So part of the large vessel involvement, you can get posterior strokes. And so then you would be looking for any sort of beading, any stenosis, any other normalities in the arteries, uh, or any cerebral vasculitis, which again is, is is bordering on super complicated territory, but but it is important to look for. Brilliant. And then there is a role for Doppler ultrasound scan scanning as well, and looking for stenosis, occlusion, or the typical sort of halo sign at the temporal arteries. So just, just to go into that a bit more, so the investigation, so we've got the standard bedside blood pressure, urine, that kind of stuff, and we've got the blood tests. Um, and then I would recommend actually now that depending on your centre, it depends on where you are and whether your vascular scientist is, is, is are used to these procedures. So doing a temporal artery ultrasound is actually a really useful thing now, and it's being utilised more and more depending on the site and is being made part of the, the screening, not screening, a part of the diagnosing pathway in, in multiple centres. So it has a really good sort of negative and positive predictive value depending on, on the person and on the context, but it can help to sort of make the diagnosis and it is not invasive and can done 
be done pretty easily. So in our center, if we request it, we can get it done on the day, generally done within a few hours. And it gives a real good indicator as to the diagnosis as well. And it makes up part of the criteria going forward to try and access higher cost drugs. So that's temporal artery ultrasound and then a biopsy. So generally we would keep pushing for the biopsy. It's generally hard to get because you know, we don't do the biopsies. We have to ask our friendly surgeons. It could be the ophthalmic, the vascular or, or a general surgeon. And it's not as easy to, to facilitate that. Like you said, Sana, you want to do it within two weeks. And that's mainly because you're going to start steroids there and then. And after two weeks, the, the utility of having a biopsy becomes less because you may or may not see the changes. Doesn't mean you won't. But, it, you know, if you're going to put the patient through a procedure, which does have some complications, you, you want to try and get the best yield of it that you could. And so that's why you try and do it within two weeks. That's great. Thanks, Samir. And then very rarely you might consider doing a PET scan if you're concerned about large vessel vasculitis. But obviously timing is really important. So if you want to try and capture that when they're not on steroids but obviously that's a a benefit risk decision because not putting them on steroids is is also quite obviously going to be risky if you're concerned about large vessel vasculitis and then in terms of diagnosis so Samir's touched on this but there's lots of so there are different diagnostic tools that you can use the one that I know about is the American College of Rheumatology Criteria which you would need three of of the following so someone's age being above 50 new onset headache, temporal artery tenderness or reduced pulsation clinically, an ESR that's elevated above a certain level um, and and a positive biopsy. So you need three of those or more. But Samir, you were talking earlier about, to me, about a different diagnostic tool. Well, I'll I'll get on to that in a second. The the other important point actually is ESR. So everyone commonly quotes an ESR, you'll get referred a patient from a&E or GP, a GP or, or general medicine, and they kind of quote, quote an ESR because of that criteria. But actually, a CRP is really useful, and, and now that's being utilised more and more in in the newer classification, not classification, the newer criteria that are being validated currently. And that's because ESRs can get uh, influenced by multiple things. If you're a female, if you're older, if you're anemic, if you've got high BMI, they can all affect you, your ESR, whereas a CRP is a bit more sensitive, let's say. So the criteria that we were talking about is a, is a GCA probability score. It, it's, it's more of a, a diagnostic tool that's not fully used everywhere. It came from Southend, um, Professor Daskupta's group, but it, it kind of shows you the different weights. You don't necessarily need to, to know it for an interview, and I think it's slowly rolling out there, but it shows you the different weights, categories, and, and the importance of the history. So actually, so look at what's in front of me, but look, the score for a headache is one point, compared to polymyalgia, which is two, or constitutional symptoms, which is three points. And that kind of shows you that a headache is really not uh, a useful marker of giant cell arthritis. There are so many different uh, causes for a headache. And so it's, it's looking at the history as a whole, as well as the, the examination, because you can have so many things, you know, migraines would be super common, trigeminal neuralgia, dental problems, mm-hmm. uh, infections, ENT issues. So a, a detailed history is really important. And, Climbing into that, so you you also get like a D-dimer score, you get minus points for alternative diagnoses. So if you've got an infection, cancer, systemic disease, head and neck pathology, that'll be minus points as well. So it kind of gives you a cumulative score. It takes mm-hmm. into account the demographics, the history, clinical findings, the signs, and alternative diagnosis. It gives you a score, and then using that score, it kind of 
tells you what to do. And then you use the temporal artery uh, ultrasound findings, positive or negative, to give you an unlikely likely or, or um, an unlikely or likely diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It, it's useful, but again, it doesn't replace a detailed history. It relies on you to take an excellent history and think about the alternatives. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks, Samir. So if we move on to how you might manage someone who you're, you have a strong clinical suspicion has giant cell arthritis, if you suspect it, you should start steroids straight away. And the reason is obviously that there's a risk of bilateral blindness if this is untreated. And if there are any visual symptoms, you should think about admitting this patient for IV, post IV methylprednisolone for three days. Um, I, would, I would also get the urgent ophthalmology opinion because being a general medic and, and on the shop floor, trying to find a fundoscope, let alone looking in the back of the eye, it's always difficult. So if there is any eye involvement, ophthalmology really make or break the diagnosis and the how aggressive your treatment needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. So if you if there aren't any visual symptoms, then you can manage them as an outpatient with oral prednisolone. And usually the starting dose would be sort of 40 to 60 milligrams once a day. So usually yeah, about 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram. And you always, obviously, with starting such a high dose of steroids, need to, you know, think about gastric and bone protection. So I would always start patients on a PPI with this, because remember, you're going to be, you know, giving them steroids for for the foreseeable future until you get more information in the form of the biopsy, etc. So stomach protection with a PPI, I would normally also start patients on calcium and vitamin D tablets. And then I think it's very reasonable, especially if you have high clinical suspicion that this is giant cell arthritis, to do a, a, a FRAX score. So that's the screening tool that you can use to decide on how high the patient's risk of a major osteoporotic and hip fracture over the next 10 years. And if it's depending on what that score shows, then either you know they're in the treat category or they're in the intermediate dose which uh, intermediate level which is when you measure their mineral bone density with a DEXA scan or their low risk in which case you can just give them lifestyle changes and advice and hold off on the DEXA and abisphosphonates. Then remember if patients are diabetic you need to make sure that their diabetic control is good on the steroids. It's useful to make sure that you screen for the H so do a HbA1c as well and, and screen for diabetes before you start steroids. And then make sure that their blood pressure is also well controlled uh, in clinic. And if it isn't, then make sure that they have follow up about their blood pressure while when they start the steroids, obviously with, with steroids increasing the blood pressure. I think that's all really important stuff, actually, especially because they're going to be on this for over a year. Uh, the weaning regime is a bit complicated uh, and requires constant monitoring. You can see it on the BSR websites, so they'll go over here, but they'll be on it for a long time. So thinking about long-term complications is, is key, is vital, specifically because, you know, it's a, whole, it's a whole patient in front of you. They're a bit older, they're going to have comorbid conditions. So. Absolutely. And I think it's really important also to give patients an information leaflet on steroids and to make sure that it's very clear to them that they shouldn't stop their steroids suddenly. And if they have any recurrence of their symptoms on a lower dose of steroids, to go back up to the previous dose of steroids and to contact someone from rheumatology urgently with the caveat that if they have any visual symptoms to straight away take 60 milligrams and they need to attend A&E same day in case they need IV methylprednisolone. And then really it is a case of just trying to taper off the steroids over, usually over, yeah, like Samir said, over the course of the year. And 
There are patients who unfortunately will relapse despite trying to taper them off. And I think if they're relapsing on a quite a high dose of steroids, that's when you would really be concerned about a large vessel vasculitis or something else going on. Sometimes, yeah. So classically in the old days, it, you know, PET scans weren't as often used. So you would kind of see how they do and then add in second, second, second line therapies. So that would generally be something like methotrexate mm-hmm. or lifalinamide. Again, thinking about the contraindications, whereas contraindications are both. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of wean the patient down. If they flare once, if there's a reasonable excuse, maybe you go down slower. But if they keep flaring or it's refractory, relapsing, sorry, then you think about adding in thalamide. And then thereafter, if they keep failing now with the newer medications, the biologics would be tocilizumab. And that was following the GAPTA trial, which is always an important one to think about and know about for interviews. We have access in the UK for, for tocilizumab for patients with giant cell arthritis. And that's why it's important also to have some form of confirmation of a diagnosis. You have to have a, a biopsy or an ultrasound or a PET scan that proves it. And then that's it, really. The, the only other thing I guess to mention would be you c- can consider low-dose aspirin, so 75 milligrams once a day, to reduce cardiovascular risks. So that, that was that was historic, and that was the older guideline because of the risk of strokes and posterior circulation strokes and that kind of stuff. The newer guidelines don't really make much of that, actually. So they're not back in the day, everyone would start on aspirin, but don't really make much of that. Obviously, depends on the person, depends on their skin, heart disease or stroke risk and again you would assess things like lipids and that kind of stuff uh, also in the work of the tocilism but yes yeah. yeah, so that, that's more of looking at the patient as a whole but it's not a, a blanket everyone should be on aspirin i see okay that's really helpful to know thanks amir and that's it thank you great thanks bye